1: If you want to learn how to elevate your relationships, you should be listening to Build Your Network Podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell.
0: Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chappell, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey there, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here on Build Your Network. So... Today is just one of those episodes, guys. It's just one of those episodes that was just awesome. And I know I I say this kind of stuff a lot, but this one was just a little bit different. I I did not know what to expect coming into this, and that's typically the case. A lot of these interviews um, that I'm booking now, I don't really know the person until I can actually sit down with them, and I I can kind of tell a little bit from some of the research that I do of what type of a person that they are, or else I obviously would not have them on the show if (laughs) there was a chance that they were, uh, you know, a total a hole. But Um, This guy was uh, just surprising to me how... How just genuine and open, and uh, just just the spirit of just loving gratitude that he came across with was um, was totally overwhelming and, and completely energetic and um, uh, really contagious to be honest. And that guy, uh, we just had a fantastic conversation. Just got into so many things. There's a couple parts where he got emotional, which always gets me emotional, and so I really think you're going to enjoy this interview. It's with Darren Prince. Darren is a sports and celebrity agent who grew up in New Jersey. He started a mail order company selling baseball cards at the age of 14. When the rest of us were just freshmen in high school, worried about, you know, sports and girls and school and all that kind of stuff, he started a company selling baseball cards, which, what you, you know, hearing that, you're just like, okay, well, yeah, he's a kid. He sells baseball cards. You know, what would you make a thousand bucks that summer, you know? Um, But uh, he started traveling across the country and doing trade shows. Um, And at the age of 20, he sold that company for a million dollars at 20 years old. And this was back in the 80s, guys. So this is not during the, you know, social media boom where it's a lot easier to make that kind of money when you're that young. 20 years old, sold this company for a million dollars, and then he formed Prince of Cards, which became an industry leader in private autograph signings for sports and celebrity memorabilia with athletes and celebrities. So he goes and basically creates this entire new industry. There wasn't a lot of this stuff happening back then, so he creates this thing and then fills it up with some of the world's most well-known athletes and celebrities uh first of which by the way was muhammad ali the muhammad ali yes and and then in 95 he started a new venture called prince marketing group which represents athletes and celebrities for marketing deals consisting of endorsements licensing tv movie book deals um, autograph signings appearances all of the above just to give you guys an idea he manages some of the top people in the world like magic johnson charlie sheen uh dr drew pinsky um uh he's got he knows you know uh, or denise richards would be in that group hulk hogan uh, evil Knievel, Dennis Rodman, just literally some of the best people. I um, mean, look at some of just the, um, the endorsements on the back of his book is, is insane. Just the who's who really Mark Cuban's on there. Um, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, wrote some stuff about his book. Man, there's just so many people on here that you're just like, Oh my gosh, how does he know all these people? And uh, so obviously this being the building network podcast, this ended up being a fantastic conversation about relationships and networking. But if you ask, Darren, his biggest and most important accomplishment. He would tell you it's being a recovering addict, having celebrated 10 years sober and is a public recovery advocate and speaker who has appeared on Dr. Oz. Um, and then in, uh, 2018, he wrote a book called aiming high and it's his memoir. Um, it quickly became an international bestseller in four countries and on October, 2018 made it to the Amazon number one new release list. And so this is an amazing book aiming high. Um, it's got all the awesome stories in it about the, you know, uh, extravagant lifestyle that he was living by hanging out with these people and making the money that he was as young as he was got all the good stuff, but also has the dark side of his opiate addiction and what he suffered from for uh, decades of his life. And now he is in recovery from, and like I said, ha- sitting down and having this conversation with him was a big blessing in my life because the, the, the energy was so contagious guys. I'm telling you, um, this is a guy that, that is a really, really, really genuine person. He was totally engaged, even with everybody that he was um, talking, like he literally just got off of, Phone call before he walked in with Carmen Electra dealing with something um, or, or helping her with something out, uh, and it was just. Then he sits down with me, but when he sat down with me, it was he was all all engaged in our conversation. And um, man, I just respect I respect the hell out of people like that who have every reason in the world that most people would think that would give them if anybody has the right to. You know, be be all busy and uh, and and kind of write you off. It would be somebody like him, but uh, I always appreciate when people like him are just regular people trying to have a good conversation and make a difference in the world. Um, so we talk about just so a variety of different things, but uh, the story of Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier um, uh, squashing everything that was happening in between them. Like you guys, just you, you have to hear this story. Trust me, um, it gets him emotional, gets me emotional, um, but it's just this crazy iconic iconic cultural moment it wasn't, wasn't just a sports thing. It was cultural across the entire world. And, um, and, and he got to kind of orchestrate that and be a part of it, which was pretty awesome. Um, and then how he made $400,000 a year in high school in the 1980s and then sold that company for a million bucks. That's just a crazy, that's just to me, uh, is the, the ultimate entrepreneur right there. Um, and then also we talk about how crucial his relationship with magic Johnson was to his career. And I bet you guys can guess, uh, what his answer was to the, who, you know, or what, you know, question. In fact, I didn't even have to ask the question. He just said it. (laughs) So, uh, you definitely going to want to pay attention to this interview. So many amazing things in here. Uh, But first, really quickly, before we get into that, if you are somebody that is looking to start a podcast, okay, you run a seven figure business or a high six figure business, and you are looking to add more revenue to your, in, to your, uh, uh, to your business this year, um, increase your credibility or authority um, in your space or your niche, if you want more book deals or speaking engagements and uh, you think podcasting is going to be the thing that be the thing to help you get there. Uh, Reach out to me because I have a couple spots open in my coaching program right now. Um, Just head over to Travischapel.com slash coaching, travischappell, C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L dot com slash coaching to throw in a quick application and then we'll chat on the phone. There's no obligation there. It doesn't cost anything to do any of that. So if you're thinking about this 1%, at least just go fill out that form and chat with me because you know, worst case scenario, we just get to know each other and have a good conversation. So um, pretty good worst case scenario there. Head over to travischapel.com slash coaching and I will chat with you really soon. And now here is my conversation with Darren Prince. Darren, thanks so much for joining me on the show today, man. Fantastic, fantastic time having you in here. Can't wait to jump into some stuff.
1: Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to it.
0: Yes, sir. Of course. So Man, so many things. We're gonna talk more about this book, but before we get too, you know, far into the conversation, I want to highlight this for a second. Make sure everybody listening or watching um, knows about it. So, aiming high, how a prominent sports and celebrity agent hit bottom at the top. Um, It is a bestseller now that uh, you came out with, and um, I just want to shout that out here at the beginning so that everybody can go jump on that before we get into the rest of the interview. So let's talk about how this book came about, and uh, back very, very, very beginning here, and uh, talk about the entrepreneurial journey that you've been on. Uh, Do you believe, Darren, that entrepreneurship is something that's born, or do you think it can be taught? Because it seemed like you just had that, whatever it was.
1: I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, I wasn't the best student, Okay. Like My friend Gary, he talks about it all the time. Yeah. School wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And my dad found something special in me when it came to numbers. I was a statistical genius looking at baseball cards, and everybody's batting average, and RBIs and home runs, and uh, minor leagues, you know. Runs batted in, all that stuff. Was that and
0: numbers in general or yeah, just numbers working? in general?
1: Okay. And I was obsessed with collecting baseball cards as a kid. Okay. And I was challenged uh, in my intro to business class by a teacher, Elliot Lovie, who I'm still close to this day. He wanted everybody to go home and create this fantasy business. And I created this baseball card company in my mind.
0: Talk about a fantasy Which actually
1: had <laughs> come to no, fruition.
0: And that was intro to business in high school?
1: In high school. 14 okay. years old.
0: 14 years old. So... 14 years old, you get this, you weren't even thinking about turning it into a real business until no. you had this class. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you say you have a good relationship with him now. Is what was? What's the dialogue between you and him now, like him being able to see where you've gone in your career?
1: He said he always knew something was special hmm. about me, that I lacked a lot of self-confidence, a lot of self-worth. I acted like I never fit in. Hmm. But when he had me one-on-one, he said I just saw something in your eyes that would that were magical, that was different, that Mm. you were going to be a game changer and everything that you ever did.
0: So talk to me, ins and outs of the baseball card business. What what did did you actually do? It was an amazing
1: time in my life, man. I was a superstar at the top of an industry that just came out of nowhere and having no idea how to handle it as a teenager. There was me, this guy, Alan Rosen, Mr. Man, who was the most iconic name in the industry. And we had celebrities, rock stars. I mean, everybody coming to collect these rare vintage cards because the investment potential was tremendous. And... You know, I just started going to trade shows, and I would, I would buy a Mickey Mano rookie for five thousand dollars because I knew that week I had an investor on Wall Street that was paying me ten. That's so great. I was just buying, flipping, and buying, you're flipping. Fourteen,
0: fifteen.
1: Yeah, by the That's time awesome. I was sixteen years old, I think I was probably making about four hundred thousand a year.
0: How did you stay at all engaged in school?
1: It was tough. I had a couple of my big uh, Italian friends that I would pay in between class. I was the only. Guy I knew that had a cell phone. The company was called Bell Atlantic back then. Had this big metal aluminum weight on the bottom with a rubber antenna, and it was three dollars a minute to use the phone. My dad flipped when he saw the first bill, but then he smiled when he saw how much money I made yeah. that month to <laughs> <I> understand <laughs> that I could afford it. And so these guys would stand in front of my locker and in between class. It was crazy. It'd be like I'd be calling on John Smith, selling to Smith Barney. These well, are Fargo. friends of I want yours? this card. I want that card. And it was in between class. I'd be grabbing my phone out of my locker wow. and. Um, you know, but when I look back at that time, you know, you hear about all the success that I could talk about, but I just never felt worthy of it at the same time. Yeah. You know, it was like everybody wanted to, like, you see what Darren's doing? You see what, but, yeah. you know, I just, I just never felt like... Just imposter sort of, syndrome creeping up. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think that there's a real way to deal with that? And I feel like there's, there's so much talk about it, especially, I don't know what it is nowadays, I guess, I guess just the internet's around so more people know that it's a term. <laughs> um, but when you're 15, 16 years old, you don't really know all the terms or what exists out there. You just have this feeling, this inner feeling of, I'm not good enough. And even though it appears externally that everything's going okay, mm-hmm. internally, something's not going
1: right. I, you know, I had that learning disability Mm -hmm. that I was told, uh, I was classified with as a young kid. Okay. And I think it was always in my soul, in my gut, and uh, from not speaking up, I felt, you know, let me just show the world that I could do this and I can do that, and, um, but it wasn't authentic, you know, Mm -hmm. I was always looking for an outside fix that was an inside job, and when I speak to high school kids, they're my favorite audience out of any, because I tell them, don't be Darren Prince. Mm -hmm. Speak up. Don't. Put a substance in your system just to finish. Speak up right now. Guidance counselor, teacher, friend, you know, family member, Hmm. because you'll save yourself years of hell.
0: What, what besides that would you tell yourself as a 15-year-old kid?
1: Um, you know, you are enough. Because I see the way I'm treated in the world today, Hmm. and I don't need to tell people how great I am. I don't need to tell people I'm the best. I don't need to tell my celebrities or friends or. Anybody know I'm hanging out with who I am because I think uh, in 50 years young the legacy I've created for myself by being true to who I am has uh, You know become reality, you know, I think people that have to talk too much about themselves They're not that exact person, you know.
0: Yeah, so how, how does like a 15 16 year old who doesn't know the future? Right, like so here right now you can easily say hey, it's worth it, right? Right. But as you're if you're 15 16 you don't know what the future holds for you and you're still in that mindset of I'm, you know, I have this disability or I have this other Obstacle that's gonna keep me from being this version of myself that I ultimately want to be How do you how do you deal with how do you deal with that when you're that young and? still be able to come out of it without going down other paths like you did in terms of like going down and you know, trying to fix that problem with external substances.
1: I was at the White House on October 24th of 2018 when President Trump signed the historic $6 billion opiate epidemic bill. So it's funny you bring that up. I pulled Kellyanne Conway aside and Governor Christie. Uh, my book just became a bestseller then, and she thanked me for my service in writing it. And I said, do you want to change the trajectory of all these high school kids across America? I'm going to give you one thing that's going to change addiction, mental illness, self-esteem, self-worth, self-confidence forever. Start implementing in every high school a class about self-worth, self-esteem, about being good enough. Because I don't care if it's the jock, if it's the geek, if it's the nerd, everybody's got something that Mm. they're taking out there into the real world uh, because we're not comfortable enough to talk about it. I I can't imagine if I had a class at 15 years old that was about that, Mm. how everybody all of a sudden becomes one. Yeah, you yeah. know, and the bullying goes away, right. and she's like, "This is like brilliant." You know, when uh, I'd like you to come back up here, and maybe you know, we can talk about this in the new year. Or so wow. it's something I would love to sit down with them about because it's it's that simple of a fix.
0: Yeah, well, it, it normalizes it, yeah. right? Because when, especially when you're that young, I, I mean, I say that now, but even as you know, I'm 27, even. Coming into adult life. It still feels like that, you know Sometimes like you're yeah. the only person that could possibly know what you're going through yeah. and it's just not true It's just not true. Almost every single human being that you meet oh, every single human being that yeah. you meet has their own internal stuff yeah. That was caused by who knows what you know Society culture like yeah. what you were saying people telling you that you were not capable of something when you were that young and you You believe everything when you're when you're that young and yeah. there was something like that that just made the conversation okay yep. where you don't feel like you're going to get picked on if you tell somebody that you're going through this exactly. thing in your head yep. right so coming out of that you obviously didn't have that class mm-hmm. so talk to us about the the drug addiction that started at such a young age from that this episode of the show is brought to you by indeed we are driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all it's to match and match with Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need a hire, you need Indeed.
1: So it started at 14 years old in sleepaway camp. I had horrible stomach pains one night and I told the counselor I had to go to see the nurse. So she gave me this green liquid and a plastic cough syrup cup and I took it. It was, it was disgusting. Just I gagged, and um, five minutes later, I'm walking across the softball field, and my life changed forever. Every one of those inadequacies and insecurities went away like that, and now um, yeah, I'm on top of the world. I, I, I think about it to this day. It shows me that I'm still such a hardcore junkie, because I can get chills thinking about that feeling. Hmm. That's how much it changed my life. Yeah. And I got back to the bunk. I was the cool guy, the popular one, the talkative one. The first the time crack ever I started. Cracking jokes, people laughing, and yeah exactly i was the you know i was the popular one yeah there was like 30 teenage girls in the bunk next but i can never talk to girls yeah i just walked into the front of the bunk and they're looking at me and i said something i don't know what it was everybody's laughing with me not at me yeah. and uh
2: i went to bed that night
1: thinking nothing of it the next day I did all my activities that next night i'm lying in the bunk with no stomach pain and i'm looking up at the sky and like just daydream i was like oh my god that feeling was amazing last night how do i get more of it and mm. I learned to lie, con, cheat. Right then, in that moment, I went over for the counselor, healed over. I said my stomach is killing me, i we got to go back and I did this for three straight weeks, every night, until my mom and dad came <sighs> to visitation day and found that I was taking liquid Demerol.
0: What a horrible counselors and nurses, keeled <laughs> <laughs> over in pain as a as a teenage they kid sent me from to the stomach Hospital a couple times. Oh, I did.
1: They just said it was nervous, anxiety, Mm. um, upset stomach, and I guess back then, Demerol, you were allowed to give it. That's
0: crazy. Just like, here's some Demerol, go to sleep. Mm. (laughs) Wow. So, okay, so you leave camp now having experienced this, right? Which is, like you said, literally a life-altering experience. Mm -hmm. Because up to that point, there was never that inner peace, right? There was never that, like, calm that came when you took... Some liquid magic, right? So then you get back. You have to get your wisdom teeth pulled. So you go back in Mm -hmm. to the doctor, and this time they give you something in the form of a pill. So can you walk us through then that next part? So my
1: mom gives me two of the pills when I got back from uh, the dentist, and I had no idea what it was. I was in pain, and that same feeling came back. Mm -hmm. I couldn't understand it. I was like, "How could the green liquid and the white pill have the?" But I don't want to say anything. So I'm lying in bed. I'm calling up my boys and. A couple girls that I was friends with and the same thing. I'm just diarrhea of the mouth and talking, talking, talking and all these amazing ideas that I have for my life and business and my goals and um, three days later I think the pills were gone. So I only knew one thing to do and it was that night I went downstairs to my mom holding my cheek and crying and what mother wants to see their child suffer?
0: do you remember how long the original prescription was supposed to last you uh, it, it lasted as
1: long as it was supposed to because she oh, would okay. let me take okay. them on my own got it got it yep. my okay. mom was uh obviously paranoid at that point because yeah. of the demerol situation she mm-hmm. knew something was up with me yeah yeah
0: but at the same time like you said as a mom you yeah. don't want to just watch your kid just be in pain all the time
1: and she takes me to the dentist and uh i lied and kind and did everything I needed to do, and he gave her another three days. So, how,
0: how, how long did you have to keep coming up with reasons to be able to go back and get some more painkillers? Because, I, mean, I mean, you're in high school, right? Yeah. So, like, you, you can't just. That only happened once.
1: Out. Okay. But a few months after that, I started my business. So now it was real dangerous. I was making money. Gotcha. So gotcha. I was buying them on the so street, now you're or, roll or, roll. or I was right. paying friends to take them from their parents' medicine cabinet that might have had surgeries, and I was the only one that could afford it.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So coming into that addiction now in hindsight, what would you say to somebody who's facing something like that? If they're, to be clear, they're, they're not yet to the point where you feel like it's a sickness, right? But they're at that very beginning stage and maybe they, maybe they're not even aware of it. Like, what would you say to somebody that's in that position? That's just like starting to dabble in these things and, and you know, where that path leads. Mm -hmm. What, What would you say to somebody like that?
1: You know, my dad always used to tell me when I was experimenting a lot with drugs and partying, like, "Why can't you just look in the mirror and feel good enough?" Hmm. I never understood what he was you talking about. Of course, I feel good enough. I, I, I like taking. I just like the feeling. Yeah. Until I got sober, I didn't realize that it was a hundred percent spot on. Hmm. Because I'm pretty well yeah. about this building I live in and most of this city. There ain't no more real person out there than me. Yeah. More authentic, more comfortable in his skin. Yeah. Right now, because I've truly found down the prints at 49 years old, um, and it's it's just such a gift I can't really explain it
0: to you. How how do you how do you deal with knowing that probably your greatest strength now comes from your greatest weakness before in terms of like regret when you look back is it like man I regret doing that from day one like if I could go back I would change it 100% or would you change it because that's kind of what's turned you into being the person that
1: you are. I, I wouldn't change a thing. I put a post up the other day on Instagram and I got a ton of inboxes. It was just about that. I don't regret a single thing. It worked out perfectly. The mm. exact God wanted it to work out. Mm. Because like I said, I'm 49 and I'll be 50 in five weeks. Most people I know can't say what I can tell you about myself. That I can look in the mirror and love everything about myself and who I'm trying to be, who I evolved to be. When I make mistakes, it's a better quality of a mistake. Um, I try to grow, I try to change behavioral patterns. Um, You know, if I need to, um, you know, just very accountable. I talk about the five A's, attitude adjustment, accountability, action, and acceptance. And I put all five of those together. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just been amazing.
0: So let's move into more of the professional career here. So despite the drug abuse in the background, Mm You seem to be doing pretty well for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So making $400,000 as a sophomore or junior in high school, whatever you were, um, is obviously a fairly decent start to a good financial journey ahead of you. Um, you said your dad was a business person, um, so he saw something that was happening there, right? Like he was, he was smart enough to be able to look at what you were doing and be like, oh, okay. This this is like real money because yeah. I yeah. I assume I assume that industry back then would be kind of like what social media and online marketing and is now. Heads. Yeah. Sneaker okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So where we're like parents are just like. I don't know what he's doing, but he's making, he's making, making money. money. <laughs> yeah, I don't know exactly how, but yeah. somehow it's coming in. Yeah. So, um, talk to me about the first those first like profits that you started making, like the big ones where you're like, okay, this is there, there's for sure something here. You know, I, I
1: I don't want to be completely honest with them because holding that type of cash as an eighteen, nineteen year old and Look, I, I was a late bloomer with the women, and I remember, you know, just going out and being the guy everybody wanted to hang with, and having you know, thousands of dollars on me with my boys, and it was a great mm-hmm. feeling. Yeah, you know, I thought it was a real feeling. Yeah, but, you know, a lot of it was, you know, fake. But so this I,
0: was pre age twenty-one, yeah. right? So when you say going out, you mean yeah, we, like,
1: we, we were able to get we were able to get in clubs in New York City, October okay. nineteen and twenty. Okay. Yeah, with fake IDs and whatnot, and obviously the guy everybody wanted to hang out with, and um, so I took full advantage of it. Yeah. And, um,
0: which what young kid wouldn't? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And, um, you know, I was honest to a degree. You know, my dad and my uncle back then knew that there's some real money coming and they wanted to make sure I paid taxes and did everything Mm -hmm. I had to do the right way so there wasn't a problem, which I did. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it, like I said, there was, you know, that, uh, imposter syndrome. I needed it. I, want, I wanted all that cash in my pocket. I wanted to be the first one that had a credit card at a certain age and be able to slap it down and know that it's going to go through. Right, yeah.
0: right. So where along this journey, what age um, did you start doing these memorabilia autograph signings? That what was at 20. Things?
1: I sold okay. the baseball card company. Oh, you uh, sold it. You I actually had it. an exit. I sold this on my mailing list, whatever assets were left as far as the collection for a million dollars. And I uh, jumped right into the sports and entertainment memorabilia industry. And okay. I did that for about four and a half, five years. And that industry was great because it allowed me to meet all these superstars mm-hmm. that eventually form those relationships. Yeah. Then the next step was print marketing. Yeah.
0: So ins and outs of that business, just real quick, just for some context. What exactly, like I, I say, you know, memorabilia and autograph yeah. signing. What, what exactly did you do? And how, how we did would you pay
1: manage? different athletes and celebrities, Muhammad Ali, Magic Johnson, Pamela Anderson. They would sit in a hotel room for a couple of hours, to autograph hundreds or thousands of items, and they'd be contracted, to be paid a certain amount of money, and that was it.
0: And w- was this something that they were already doing, and they just need somebody to? No, we we
1: actually. I'd like to think back then we almost created an industry in a way and these celebrities found it like the easiest money ever. Sometimes they would keep it for themselves. Sometimes they would donate it to their favorite charity and we would go out and market the product to different vendors, uh, companies, uh, memorabilia stores.
0: And who was the first like bigger name that you, Muhammad had.
1: Ali. Okay, among for the biggest. And in the how, world. how, how,
0: how do you land that as a so, twenty-year-old?
1: My friend uh, Jeff Hamilton, a revered leather jacket designer, I was with him on Christmas. I was good friends with the guy Harlan Warner, who I was also with on Christmas. And, and how did you meet and Jeff? I, I, I met Jeff at the Super Bowl in two in 1992 in Minneapolis. I was sitting front row on the 50-yard line. He was two rows behind me, and he just looked like a rock star. He had yeah. these. Outrageous looking jackets, and I walked over to him and told him that, that was your
0: Dallas one, right?
1: That was uh that was the Redskins, Buffalo Bills. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and uh, we exchanged numbers, we formed a friendship. I went out to see him. I actually, I'll never forget this. I, my my ex girlfriend and I broke up. We we were both devastated. It was like I was twenty one or twenty two, uh-huh. and he's like, "Come out here, come come spend the weekend with me, because don't don't sit at home and be depressed." And uh, so had, had, had I not gone to LA, this is the crazy thing Prince Mark and Group wouldn't exist to this day. That's so Because good. we hung out at his office, and that's when Harlan Warner walked in, mm. who's Muhammad's agent. Gotcha. So I remembered a year later when I wanted to get to the memorabilia business, I called him up, and I'm like, remember that guy, Harlan, that I met? Gotcha. How do gotcha. I get in touch with him to do a signing with Muhammad like,
0: Okay, so that business, you were still doing baseball cards baseball. at that time. Yep So you see this guy, and you're like, he seems like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> so you go create a friendship. Yeah. Just randomly fly out to LA because you're going through something with a bad breakup. Yep. It's uh, like against hustle. Deepest irony. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, to hell with the hustle is definitely something that I can get on board with. Uh, I know that there's a lot of people, especially in my space in the entrepreneurial yes. um, type space, there's yes. a lot of people preaching hustle all the time. Yeah. I don't necessarily like have a problem with working hard because yes. like, that's obviously part of the process. 100%. But I think that having a self awareness about what life really is about Mm -hmm. is uh, is super important. So, um, can you kind of talk to me about like the origin of this book? And you know, let's give me just one or two key principles that you hope
2: people will take away from it. Totally. Well, I mean, I think. Basically it started from the, the, not only me feeling it my own life but then like what you were saying there's a there's like a trend out there that's starting to just get kind of annoying you know totally. what I mean like it's not like and you nailed it like working hard is amazing yeah working hard is necessary uh, we need to work am, with ambition we need to work uh, you know loving other people and doing it well and with ethics and all that stuff and integrity mm-hmm. but yeah there's this like extra layer that's like I, I kind of uh, hu- uh, hustles a good kind of uh, catch all but also another one that I think it was like the life hack culture mm-hmm. you know you just like we're so obsessed with like life hacking our life right mm-hmm. just like a shortcut and do this, and you'll do this, and make sure you have the MCT oil and the bulletproof coffee and that. And, and I take that by the way, and it gives me brain energy. I love it. Yeah. But like, at what point is enough enough? Meaning, like, how many? Like, my, my question we have to ask is, have we ever come back around to look at the data? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, like, okay, we we have every little life hack that we've almost had in human. Like, like someone from 1500 would just be like blown away at how many little things we can do to our life. Right. And so I just kind of say, like, are we? Have we reached, like, we we should have reached perfection by now, basically. If there's so many life hacks, we should have kind of reached the logical conclusion. But we haven't, which kind of shows you it's a little false bill of goods, you Mm -hmm. know, that at some level we're chasing something that can't be grabbed, can't be achieved. Mm -hmm. Um, And what is it there? And so there's that. And then, yeah, the book really gets at this spirit of, like, um, man, I think it was Derek Thompson who in The Atlantic, he has just a brilliant, brilliant article called The Religious Religion of Workism. And he's, you know, non-Christ- like he's a non-religious person. He's just kind of using this language of like we've almost made work a religion, yeah. right? And he, and he really gets into some crazy stats and data in there of like how this is not how it's ever been um, and what it's doing to us. And he has this cool phrase in there he goes, you know, for all of human history, work was always about making things. But for the last 40 or so years, work is now about making us. And what he says is we are in a very unique culture where we now, we're the only culture in all of human history where work is now no longer about material production, but it's about identity production. Yeah. It's about literally, we don't even care about yeah. our job as much. We care about what the job does for us, like mm. in our soul, yeah. who it's making us, who it's forming us into be, because we have some idealized version that we're trying to push towards.
0: And, and who then- we... Who we, who we like, want to be perceived as yes. by other people. Yes,
2: and it's, so then that, that is, and that's an identity. It's, yeah. it's who am I. Yeah. We're trying to answer the question, who am I through work? And I just think that's a very, very, very bad thing to do. But it's dangerous. It right. is really dangerous, and too much pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, work is, when it's about making things, that's great. Make things. Honor those things. Honor right. that job. Be the best you can at that job. But when it's about making us, then that becomes corrosive and toxic on your soul.
0: Yeah, you know, uh Simon Sinek recently wrote a book, Love called him, by the, called way. the Infinite Game. Yeah. And he talks about that how how we're playing this we're playing this game of life like it's a like it's a finite game, like yes. a, like our, our career is a finite thing. Yeah. And it's not. It's not a finite game. there, there is no winner or loser, clear yeah. rules that are yeah. done. And, and that's the same thing that you were just talking about yeah. is that we're, we're trying to, we're trying to get other people to perceive us to be a certain way mm-hmm. based on what we think is going to elevate our status in their yes. eyes when there's no like specified rules for what matters. Yes. Right. Cause some people might be like, Oh, your salary matters. Other yes. people might be like, Oh, your job title matters. Mm-hmm. Oh, your impact matters. So we're like, we're trying to build this life that impresses all these other people without even having a tool
2: yeah. to measure, measure the actual yeah. success. totally, like we,
0: we don't know what that means. We're just like totally. all competing in this thing. We've all picked out our own values that we perceive to be important. Yes. And then that's what we try to portray to other people. So if you view that like, Making money is important, yes. then you're going to cast that on me, and because yeah. I don't make as much money as you do, it, the then you're just going to be like, "Well, you're down here, I'm up here." Yes, right? but I might look at you and be like, "Well, I do I do more charity work, and, yeah, and exactly. that's what matters to me." You totally. know, and and you're all you care about is money, so I'm mm-hmm. going to elevate my status above you because I'm a better person than you are. Right? Totally. So
2: we all have like these fake. Yeah, that metrics measure life
0: by that yeah. really nobody's ever agreed on <laughs> totally <laughs> you know?
2: totally and i and i love simon sinek by the way he's one of my favorite i love him as a thought leader some of the stuff he's saying it was actually a geek out moment he's in his new books in target and they put me right next to his in uh, target nice. and i'm just like yes i get to be next to him like by his associate <laughs> <right>? yeah <laughs> yeah and hopefully by mine um <laughs> but uh yeah i totally agree man and i think and, and, and Jesus even kind of gets at this a little bit. You know, 2,000 years ago, you have this gospel text of, uh, of of different pressure groups. You have different religious groups. You have different secular people coming at him with different needs and pressures. Exactly what he said. Like, everyone has different metrics. Mm-hmm. And they're all putting this on Jesus, right, which is fascinating when you open up the gospels. And then clearly, there's even a couple of stories where that pressure starts to collide. And then Jesus says, no, no, there is a metric. There is one. It's not all the ones you're saying. It's not all of this. It's not all that. And then he basically says, he says, you can sum up the entire law in this. And it's that you will love God. And love neighbor. And I'm like, man, that is a good metric, right? Mm -hmm. To love. To love God, the person in whose image you are made in. But then also to love each other. Because when you're loving each other, then you're not getting into those false sense of metrics like you said, where I make this, you don't. I do this, you don't. Um, and I think that's just fascinating that in its own way, 2,000 years ago, that was the same problem, totally. just in a re, really recapitulated way. And I love how he answers. This. "No, no, it can, it, There is rules, there is things, but it can be summed up in one center, and that's love other people, right? And then yeah. love God and, as, uh, and love your neighbor as yourself. So I think that's huge.
0: Yes. What, what are a couple other things that you talked about in the book?
2: So the book, yeah. So first couple chapters, I would almost call the diagnosis, the problem. Uh, you know, there's already been some people mes- messaging me and uh, laughing that like it's rated, you know. Uh, I don't know how to say it, like, it's like, you know, it's kind of, it's when you go to the dentist, it's painful to get the cavity part, and they're always like, oh, that's a little too painful in the first chapters, but hopefully it's the solution's the second half, right. and, because um, we have to, you have to truly know the problem, by the way, to know how to solve it, so I think that's why I'm really uh, trying to put some teeth on those first couple chapters, and I go all the way into, like, Industrial Revolution, I go back to the invention of the light bulb, I go back to our invention of time, and all of these things actually are significantly putting us in our moment right now mm-hmm. that we don't realize because we're 200 years past it. And when you wake up and you're, you know, and you're an adult, you're like, oh, this just is what it is. But it hasn't always been that way. What are the ramifications of that? So the devil in debt, but then the whole rest of the book is kind of a solution. Every single chapter, I think the last five or six is what I try to argue for uh, five or six practices, I call them, that if you can institute those, they're, they're really, really good acts of resistance against the problem you know what I mean mm. okay. so like uh things like silence thing like honoring a true sabbath like a true day of rest like turn off your phone stop working um uh you know, which culturally, religiously or not, America used to do. 50 years ago, you try to go find something open on Sunday, good luck, mm, right? Yeah. Whether you're a Christian or not, that's just that we, we understood that you need to shut down. Right. Um, and so, yeah, rest, Sabbath. I even tell there's a whole chapter on obscurity on there. Like, if especially with people with platforms, you know, like us and stuff like that, we need to be making a concerted effort to, like, hide sometimes. Mm. And that's a weird way to put it, but we do. Like, we do not need to be out in front. We do not always need to be seen. We do not always need to be known because that does something to our soul where you become this cropped, edited version of yourself that's not actually... A true, robust human image bearer that you are. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, so, that's yeah
0: that, of, so I've been in that position before, where like you're almost selecting mm-hmm. daily activities based on like what's going to look best on your Instagram story totally, or whatever. You yes. Know, like, what what do my followers want? Like, yes. How and about, that, what do I want to do today? Exactly. <laughs> and I think
2: that's a really good point because. There's a tension there, too, because I think it's totally fine and fair to share our days, to say where we went to for mm-hmm. fun and all yeah, that stuff. Totally. But here, that is the, the corrosive one is when you start actually crafting your days backwards, mm-hmm. meaning, I, meaning what do I want to share? Then I'm going to go do that. That's different than I went and did something and I'm going to share it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and I think there's actually levels of both of those where sometimes just turn your phone off, phone off anyways, don't share. But the other one you said is even worse of like, yeah, we, <laughs> but we don't realize we do it because the more you do it, you start to do it more. Right. right you start right. to literally it's... craft activities based on how instagrammable they are and that's just a weird place to get at
0: yeah just a self
2: perpetuating yeah. mm-hmm. cycle that... Yeah, it just drains your soul. So totally. You, know,
0: you don't like you said. You don't realize it until yes. like a few months later. You wake up and yeah. you realize you're not
2: doing. Anything well, my that well, and anymore. here's what it does: it dehumanizes and also completely devalues the entire experience in a way where it becomes more commodified. So we live in Maui, <clears throat> Hawaii, and I see this all the time, and I crack up, but it's also really sad. Where like literally, it's kind of that classic you know Instagram husband, Instagram wife thing. Where like we'll be walking. I see it almost every single day and then people just want that classic Maui picture oh, yeah. right just like they're on the beach and and literally I've seen so many times where like this girl's in her bathing suit or whatever and you can tell they just got to the beach she gives the phone to the husband she goes and walks to the edge of the beach and kind of does a pose or a strike yeah. or whatever takes the picture and then they leave and then they bounce yeah exactly <laughs> I'm literally like, and I'm I'm not even, I'm not even, I've probably seen that over a hundred times, where the end, and then now think about all the way through. Okay, so then, you know, you're her friend, and you get on Instagram a couple days later, and you see this picture. It looks like they had an amazing time on the beach in Maui. No, they didn't. They they literally didn't even spend five seconds on the beach. They didn't swim. They didn't talk. They didn't hang out. It was literally a manufactured moment, and it's just so weird, right, like to, like, see the picture, but then also see how that picture was got, you know, and so, yeah, but we do that more than we think.
0: Yeah, what do you think that does for uh, culture in terms of, like, I, 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 we, we just had our first uh, kid. Uh, yeah. He's about six months old now. Congrats. Yeah, thank What's you. What's his name? That. Cameron. Cameron, cool. Yeah, so a lot of this stuff is now in my mind. 100%. And it was not before. Yes. Um, so what, what do you think that does for culture in terms of kids' self-esteem? Like mm. Not necessarily like I'm like I'm a grown adult, totally. right? So we can handle it When Instagram more. came out, yeah. I was I think a freshman in college. Totally, you know. So like by the time it was there, it, my feelings weren't as yeah, attached to it. it's gonna it. be and, native to
2: them, natural to them. Yeah,
0: as a kid, like if you grow up with that oh, and yeah. you're seeing that kind of stuff, you know, well they they're here. You're you're seeing everybody's highlight reel yes. and not seeing any of their failures, and you're comparing your failures to totally their, like mountaintops. tops. Totally.
2: What does that do? Uh, there's so many different ways I, I like to answer that one. I think one, what I would say is, yeah, what it first does is it just commodifies all of our experiences that shouldn't be, like human experiences can't be measured or distilled in a laboratory, but we're kind of doing a pseudo version of that when we do this. It's like we want to p- transact, make it transactional, make it commodified. So that's the first thing I would say. Second thing is, yeah, oh, I'm gonna get this stat wrong because I just read it, but it was something to the effect of like I just read it the other day, where it's like <laughs> your anxiety and your depression like dissipates by like 50% if you, like in people that they measured turning their phone off for a week or something like that. You know what I mean? Like mm, they basically okay. just said get away from your phone and see if that actually changes your mental health, and lo and behold, it changes your mental health, right? right? It's literally and mental health is serious and is internal, and there's ones that's way more chronic and way more serious. So it sometimes can't be solved by turning off your phone, but there's a lot yeah, on like, like this low grade level that I think 100% can. No, well, it, 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 It has to be, right? Yes.
0: I mean, the US is the most culturally advanced country arguably in the world, right? But we're also the leader. In mental health. Yes, premises. exactly. Like we are the leader in anxiety, depression. Exactly. Suicide, all exactly. those things. It's because we as humans like look for problems. Totally. We have to have problems. Totally. So when our problem is no longer where am I going to get my next meal, Yes, then we start manufacturing all these other problems 100%. Like, I posted this picture yes. and I only got 12 likes. And last yeah. week, I we got 45.
2: Yeah, we almost like have, it's exactly right. We have too much time on our hands to now make problems out of things that are kind of like such ridiculous problems, right? Instead right? of driving, we're on the back of an
0: Uber. Yes, right? like, exactly. Instead of
2: driving to get something to eat, exactly, get it delivered. Exactly. Product, right? Yeah, one thing yeah. I would say that is, and, but then back to your point about uh, your son, but then also just coming up in the next generation of social media and like, lo- comparing failures to your best. There's a couple analogies that help me, or one that specifically, and I think one thing is we need to do is like, we need to not get upset at the people that do share the highlight reel, because mm-hmm. that's like a normal part of life, right? Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we go one way or the other. We just get like, oh, you're only sharing your highlights, because there's a weird kickback in culture that's the opposite right now so we were like oh you only share your highlights you only share the good stuff and it's like well I'm not going to show myself like barfing at the in the toilet but there's a weird culture right now that's trying to push that back that's sort totally right. like and it's like totally the be vulnerable be transparent you know like right. just say everything that's wrong with your marriage and your life it's like no don't take that to the internet that doesn't belong there yeah right and so I think that's just as wrong and I yeah. so I think there's these two sides right now of like when you craft and manufacture it that's wrong when you're um but then when you're also saying like, you know, be vulnerable, be vulnerable, be vulnerable online, I think that's wrong too, right? Because there's a, that, that's, that's not that space. And another way to think about it is I think it's really helpful to think of social media like a family photo book, right? Mm, yes. Okay, so if you go into someone's family, uh, someone's living room, they usually have a family photo book. Now, if you pick up that family photo book, it's probably just highlights, right? right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Right, there's nothing wrong with having a book that represents your family's highlights. There's no one, you know, grandma drunk or someone throwing up, like it's not in there. Um, Why, because there's something about narratives too that I think we're narrative creatures, we like to remember certain narratives and it's okay to have the highlights. Where, that, where the family photo book gets problematic or where we would make it problematic is what if actually, because back to that first of all, you go in the house, you look at the family photo book, you learn the family, that's so cool, you look at it maybe in six months. Where the photo book would be really problematic is if you live in a home where you wake up and you pick up the photo book and you just read it every single day and then five minutes later, you go back to it. And then you, you bite something and f- go back to it. You eat something, you go back to it. You drink some coffee, you go back to it. Then you would start saying like, oh yeah, that person is probably getting a really, really, really seriously distorted view right. of what they think that family's narrative. Is. Mm. But is the problem the family's narrative? No. The problem is they shouldn't be looking at a photo book seven hours a day. Right. Right? So then it's it's kind of
0: on the consumer side right there. It turns into this internal game of then like, Man, today sucks. Yes. I right? remember this day. Yeah, you're like, we that were, was Disneyland. We were in, yeah, exactly. In Maui. Yes. And we, we were on the beach and we took that picture. You yeah. Know? But and if, now I'm just sitting in my living room.
2: Yes. Yeah. So, so I think that, because I don't, that's a, I think it's a really helpful analogy because we do these weird one or the others when well, that one kind of answers both, right? Of like, it's okay to share the highlights, but be honest, you're not manufacturing pictures. You're not just going to Disneyland for the picture. Right. You went to Disneyland and you took a picture. So that's fair. But then on the second one, it's like, yeah, we have to also really reckon with like, it's usually, not always, usually sometimes the, the person who's holding the phone, it's, it's, it's there, what it is, it's like, we've been looking at the photo book too much. Yeah. So put it down and go do real life.
0: Right. So what's your recommendation for like families with kids and things that mm. where the kids maybe just are always on their phone or maybe, maybe the, maybe the parents just didn't even realize that I, I, I'm, I feel the worst for parents that like this happened to, Yes. Right? Like after my generation, maybe another seven or eight years, like the kids that were Or it's right in the middle still? seven or eight years. Yeah, we haven't thought about it when, a ton yet. Like, they got the yeah. devices. Exactly. Like yeah. those
2: parents just More got like the like the guinea pig, pig experiment. <laughs> yeah. So, so what do you
0: recommend yeah. now for somebody that's like, okay, now that we got my bearings here, totally what do I do with my family to make sure that my kids aren't like putting their entire self-worth totally. in this little device.
2: Yeah, I think one thing that I talk about, I don't know if I talk about in the book, but it certainly relates to the book, but we have in our own family, as we call it, my last name is Bethke, so we call it the Bethke Tech Manifesto. And it's kind of this fun little play, but like, we, be, we believe that as a family, we need to have like a manifesto, like that kind of spirit of like how we are going to engage with devices, mm-hmm. technology, and this current iteration and world we're in with social media. And if we don't, we lose. You know what I mean? And what I mean by that is like, I don't think we've ever reckoned with the fact that this is the most concentrated power has ever been in all of human history, right? There's probably 100, maybe only 50 men, probably, maybe a few women in Silicon Valley that have the power and are 100% shaping all of what we believe in our culture for about two or three billion people in regards to technology, devices, and social media, that's a scary amount of bit disproportional power. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you could argue tobacco's been in that realm, maybe you could argue, argue fossil fuels and oil's been in that realm, but I don't think it's still that disproportionate. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: well, it's because it's combining tech and media. 100%.
2: Like 100%. the
0: other big tech companies. Totally. the other big you know giant conglomerates totally. didn't also have the power to distribute content. Exactly, that's they a good way to put it, elsewhere. yes.
2: And so that concentration of power on its face is already terrifying uh, Two, those people have an agenda. And I don't mean like crazy evil, like their businesses, they need to return money to their shareholders. It's very simple. Right. And because of that, they're going to make a lot of decisions that allow, that make us behave. Like we're the product. We're not the consumer, right? Humans in this world are the product in the social media realm. If you're not paying for something, you're the product, right? Not the thing you're using. Mm-hmm. Uh, your eyes are being sold. Your data is being sold. Your brain's being sold. Your behavior's being sold. So, I think that's really important, because then what you realize is like, okay, they're not wrong for that. They are a business. They need to return profit to their shareholders. Hopefully they do it ethically. Sometimes they don't. Um, but they have an agenda, and they are going to 100% shape everything to fit that agenda. They're going to make things certain colors so we behave in a certain way. Mm-hmm. They're going to make them refresh in a certain way. They're going to make them look a certain way. They're going to make them cost a certain way. They're going to make you behave a certain like Everything, right? They spend billions of dollars to get us to behave a certain way. Okay. So the whole point of me is like, okay, if you don't have if you don't have a competing force on that, you automatically lose. Hmm. Like you lose, right? You, you will be their agenda. You will do what they want, how they want, when they want it. Uh, in almost a robotic drone-like state, because yeah,
0: you're, if you're not purposeful and intentional, resisting about not totally. being that way, totally, you're just going to end up being
2: that yes. Way. And there's some parts of it where it's fine, like okay, let that fall through the cracks. That's fine. You know, they want me to do that, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. But are you being intentional with it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, so then we have a family manifesto that's just like this is what we believe about technology, and it's always it's malleable. We're always changing it based on us and our kids' ages. And but yeah, it's got rules in there, like you know, we don't bring phones in the bedroom. Uh, you know, I can't look at the phone for the first hour of the day. We all, <clears throat> we only have one TV in the house, and it has to hide. when I mean, And so I literally built a cabinet system where, like, it's on an elevator and just goes and goes down. And so now when you walk in our home, you can't see any television. You don't even think people don't even think we have a television. And it's those little things like that that, okay, we're not centering the TV, which means we turn it on less. Psychology supports that 100%. How you shape your space will also shape how you behave and how you act. Um, And so all of that type of stuff really, really matters.
0: Yeah, that's crazy, man. There's just so many pieces of the puzzle. Totally. Totally. have to be aware of, at least, mm-hmm. you know, especially as a parent. Yeah. As, as a responsible parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but uh moving into like the business side of this, yeah. um, talk to me about content creation in general. Mm-hmm. So just to kind of shift gears, talk to me about, you know, you've done YouTube, you've done yeah. podcasting, you've written several books at this point, you do public speaking. If somebody's out there right now, and, and we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this yeah. to this show, if somebody's out there right now and they're like, okay. I have this message and I have this brand and I have this business and I want to amplify that. And I know that's creating some form of content is probably the way to do that. How would you recommend they get started?
2: How how would you get started? I would say, you know, totally that 10,000 hour rule of like, just get started. Like you will, you are meant to, it usually takes about a decade to hone a craft of some sort. And even me having a viral video earlier, I'm now about almost at that 10 year realm and I can feel just finally a decent level of like proficiency. It's funny. I've just noticed last year or two, like I still need to grow a ton. Still need to work it but like, but like, I feel like I kind of fell in the pocket of like, okay, I got this. I know what I'm doing. I've done this before this, you know, think through this. I've gotten a little bit better. And it's just funny. It is like a eight to 10 year thing where that it takes that long.
0: It's crazy how many people I talk to now that, that say that, um, say that kind of stuff. My buddy Jordan Harbinger has a Mm -hmm. podcast and gets like six million downloads a month. That's and legit. I was talking to him the other day and I was just like asking him a few questions. Yeah. So just kind of just, I'm a podcaster, you're yes. a podcaster trying to like, you know, what, what can I expect? Totally. Here, you know? He said something, of ver- of a version yep. of the same thing, that like he feels like the last two or three years has really been where his explosion of growth has yes. been in not only his numbers, but in his skill set yes. and his network and the people he brings on his show yep. and stuff.
2: And we don't like that story, though. Right, it takes that's a while not the sexy story. To, yeah, yeah hey, totally. hey, take eight to 10 years and kind of like right. do something that no one really notices and then maybe it'll pop. No one loves that. right? Yeah, but exactly. there's a lot of truth to that.
0: And But you know what's ridiculous, though, is that we look at eight to 10 years, we go, man, that's forever. Yes. But then like the alternative is what? Yeah, Go just, work 40 years for somebody else yes. and retire? Or like, or try security. to be
2: entrepreneurial but just bounce around every year or two because right. it's you, you want it to pop faster. Right. The other story yes. is way worse, like yes. markedly
0: worse yeah, than, totally. than like, just focusing totally. in and, and working on your craft for eight yep. 10 years. But it just, soo- I guess it just sounds so difficult or something totally. that it just makes people not want to do it.
2: Well, here's, and, here, here's what I would say. Yeah, it, I agree. But also I think we need to get back to respecting the process. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. the process is is what matters. That like the process itself of, of going forward of, 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 like it's not about the end result, it's about what it's, what it's doing to us, the mm-hmm. process itself. So I think that's really important.
0: So in terms of platform, if somebody's just starting out, which platform would you say like, hey, you should go all in on this platform first and then start redistributing content to other Good
2: platforms? question. I think pay attention to what you're good at, first of all, because I think it's different for each person. Like I'm, Some people are not as good on video, right? So then try to make me, you know, parlay into audio. Someone, some people are not good at with their voice at all. Parlay into writing, you know, mm-hmm. blogs. And of course you should be distributing all across the board, but know which one you feel like is your breadwinner. Yeah. And then talking platform specific, Um, I think, like, go where the eyeballs are. I think, you know, like, I'm a huge fan of TikTok right now um, because I think that's totally, Here, here's my favorite phrase. When anyone says, oh, that's just for teenagers, you should be on that immediately. Right, not yeah. for creepy, weird reasons, um, but like that—that that is the phrase that totally dead give is a dead giveaway that this is the next big thing. Yeah. It happened with uh, YouTube, then it happened with Instagram, then it happened with Snapchat, and now it's happening with TikTok. Right? right, and that's exactly what people are saying. Oh, isn't that just a kids' app where they do fun, dumb stuff? Yeah. Yes, and you should be there. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I love it. And that's where like a lot of the creativity and content and stuff like that. So be on all the platforms. But just the eyeballs, the attention—all when you hear that phrase, it's so cheap on those places, right? Yeah, that's you can the break big through thing. the noise so much more when you right. when you're in those spaces. Like literally, I know I have multiple friends, some with like zero platform, like that—they don't even care about the internet—and it's a couple hashtags. All of a sudden, got them hundred thousand views on TikTok. That's yeah. what, you can't do that on Instagram. You can't yeah. do that on YouTube, right? Because it's so uh, booming, mm-hmm. and the saturation hasn't happened yet. That it's just like kind of getting up there, getting early.
0: Yeah, that's insane. So. Um, in terms of what's driven the most in your business, mm. what what Good would you question. say has been like the biggest driver? Like, is it a yeah. is it a book? Probably. Is it... Yeah, I'd say probably books or YouTube.
2: Yeah, that's okay. probably what I would say compared to either social media in general, Instagram, Facebook, podcasts, stuff like that. You have to know your own circle. You have to know your own funnel, okay. right? And so that's what I, kind of back to that strength weakness thing. For me, I started on YouTube and I noticed. Uh, you kind of have to name and claim each platform, right? So for me, I almost consider YouTube my billboard, Mm and that's a weird way to put it, but YouTube YouTube is, in my opinion, for my stuff, because I make a lot of stuff, podcasts, books, et cetera. YouTube is the the billboard, the first thing they might go on. Who's who's that? What's going on there? Who's that guy, right, on the side of the freeway? Um, Usually that's YouTube for me, and it's not always YouTube for everyone. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's social media. um, You know, the other ones, sometimes it's book writing, but I think you have to know what that is, and YouTube is that for me, And then book writing is just a really, really special way to take people really deep that none of the other platforms I do can. Mm -hmm. So those two combined, I would say, certainly have kind of helped get it all where it is today. Do you find your books are mostly bought from warm audience
0: or do you find that like the book puts you in front of audiences? That's a
2: really good question. Try. I have no data to support that, so that would be a subjective answer, but I, if I had to guess, I would almost say a little bit of both. What you really need for a book to be successful is the core audience to take it strong and almost be like your super fans to go tell people about it, mm-hmm. but a good book, in my opinion, is one of the most frontline grenade-like things you can do. Mm -hmm. I think I almost see books as like grenades. Like they're big ideas, they take a lot of time, way more than podcasts and YouTube and stuff like that. So take a lot of time on it and then kind of throw that grenade out in culture, right? Title it something that hopefully will start the conversation and get it going. And then in that case, it's not warm audience at all, but it's a, like a welcoming audience, you know what I mean? And yeah. so I think that's different.
0: Yeah. Which of your books has m- not necessarily been your favorite or whatever, but has like meant the most to you in terms of the content in the book itself? Nothing to do yes. with
2: sales, audience? Totally. Like 100%, what meant the 100% most this one then, for okay. sure. Uh, and I think there's just some books that take on a personal nature more than the others. I love all my books. I think four now and six or seven self-published ones. But out of the traditional published ones, four of them now, definitely this one. I think... There's something about this one that just felt like this message got into my bones and it just got so deep in me that it felt like it just, it was the easiest book to write, but also the hardest. Meaning I feel like it was the densest, deepest, kind of weirdest. Like I just kind of make crazy connections and go all over, yeah. but it was the easiest because it really felt like it was in there. And so that feels really personal and really cool that like I had to have this whole journey and transformation first before I could talk about it, but definitely this one.
0: So for somebody listening who's like, man, I've, I've been wanting to write a book for a long time or yeah. I really want to write a book right now. Would you re- what, what would you recommend in terms of traditional publishing versus self-publishing and all that kind of stuff? I do both,
2: and I, like, I recommend both. I think sometimes we say, here's the way I think about it. So like To Hell with the Hustle uh, is a very big idea book, meaning, mm-hmm. like I said, I spent years on that book. I'm trying to really distill a really strong concept, a really strong idea. So I like to argue, if you want to write about a really big idea, I think it should go traditional publish. Okay. If you want to offer people a tool or a resource, then that tends to be self-published. That's how I tend to think about so it. So we got like a TED Talk book. Yeah, like that's yep. Or like I like so like so like half of my self published books have like a bunch of space to write in. Does it make sense? Like yeah, it's a tool. Yeah, they're yeah. almost we're either workbooky or just like a daily thing. Or like they feel very practical, tactical tool. When I think kind of a uh, which hopefully a traditional public book sh- books should too, but uh, a lot more time and a lot more distilling of ideas I think belongs there. Yeah. Got it.
0: So what's next, man? Like what, what's the big things like that you got working on? Where do you see yourself five, 10 years from now?
2: Ooh, that, I mean, it's so, that question's so hard, not because it's hard to dream, but it's hard to be like, man, if I count exactly five years back, there's no shot I would have felt like I was right here. (laughs) Right. right, So I, you know, it's like, it's kind of throwing it to the wind, but, um, where do I see myself? So one of our main, one of my main full-time jobs is I also run an entire initiative called family teams, uh, which is basically like a, online platform that has courses and books and live events and it's just like its own little brand to kind of just equip families for f- health and flourishing and sustainability and it's almost to hell with the hustle like burning out and overwhelmed but for families instead of individuals okay. um and giving people resources for that and that's really where there's a lot that's just resonating like crazy that's growing like crazy more than a lot of stuff i've ever done so i think i'll see myself just keeping doubling down there okay. um i really enjoy it the most Um, And again, it's just part of what I do. It's not only, but uh, spending a lot more time there, growing that, seeing that get more successful, hopefully. Um, And yeah, continuing to write. um, And then from a life perspective, yeah, just hopefully in a really fun stage then in five or 10 years with the kids, more kids, I'm hoping by then, uh, married, still in Maui, hopefully. That'd be awesome. Awesome.
0: So this is the Build Your Network podcast. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about networking, relationships, connections. Um, and this is something that it's, it's funny now I have conversations with people, I always notice it sprinkled throughout the whole conversation. Yeah. Um, so even at the very beginning, when we first started, yeah. I was going to bring it up then, but I wanted yeah. to wait till the end. Um, and you said, you said something about how, uh, the, the biggest thing that helped you with the business side total. of your asking people, your, yeah, you know, it was just like this guy gave yes, you this and this total. other person offered this and this. You know, totally. you got around these other people that were doing yes. really well in these things and you started learning from them and then implementing, right? Yeah. So um, just along those lines, this is the question that I ask everybody um, to get the conversation rolling in this direction. So Jeff, do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why?
2: Ooh, I, I would say who you know because it gives you what you know. Does okay. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, I 100% believe I am 100% a product of... Like, literally, I you can't conceptualize yourself without even the people that have impacted you or been around you. Right. And I even include that, by the way, too, to, like, books and stuff like that. People that have poured themselves out, but you might not never meet. Right. But, you know, their knowledge. Yeah. Like, that's that's a – for me to think about all – because I love reading. Try to read somewhere around 100 books a year. I didn't get to it this year. did it last year. But you start thinking, like, people you actually know, but then even, like, people that more are giving you that. You're not knowing them, but it's the same kind of thing of, like, learning from other people. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you can't, I can't even conceptualize what I'd be without all that stuff that's just – bless me over and over and over and over and over again. And then, yeah, going more personal to people that I do know really strongly. Yeah, I'm so a product, man, of just people that have poured into me and helped me and encouraged me. And that's actually, they say that, don't they? Don't they say you're like, you're basically just your five friends? Yeah, you're, you're average of, of the five people. Yeah, 100% believe that. And then I think that, that then that that gives you what you know, which is important. Right. I don't, you know, like I think that's actually step one, step two. Um, and so that's what I would totally. say for sure. Yeah, I I'm,
0: I'm, I'm mainly agree with everything that you yeah. just said. That That's the biggest thing for me is that I find that if you spend a lot of time with the who, the what will increase in direct proportion to the who that you bring around you. Totally. Whereas I don't really see the opposite being as true. Exactly. Like if you work so much on your what, it's not necessarily going to exponentially increase the who, right? Yes. It it might increase the who because if you get really good at what you do, you're going to get attention from people, right? Totally. But it doesn't necessarily exponentially increase. Whereas if you go spend time with people who are two, three, four levels above you in whatever you're trying to accomplish, even if it's something silly like, hey, I just want to work on my golf game this year, Yes. right? If you go golfing once a week with people who are worse than you, or you go golfing once a week, people who are are better than you. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the year, which person's going to be better? Yes, exactly. The person that will the people better. Because you're just going to learn things by being around them, by hanging out, by being a part of conversations. Totally, Like just being a fly on the wall and being like, oh, that's the level of conversation that these people are having is what enables you to start not only changing your actions, but changing your mindset to like do what, you know, what you used to think was impossible.
2: Totally. And one thing I would add to that too is like serve the people you're around. I think sometimes where that gets a little weird is when people kind of want to enter into these spaces with people that they really look up to and like, but then it's kind of just this take 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 They're mentality. A leech, yeah. yeah. When it's like, no, no, you know, just I don't you'll it's counterintuitive to the West, it's counterintuitive to like current culture, but like I fully believe if you pour yourself out, if you serve other people, it actually like you'll be fine. 100%. You know, we say that that you know in our culture the lie is that like if you do that you'll get taken advantage of, you'll lose some things, you'll you won't you know you need to watch mm-hmm. out for yours or kind of whatever kind of elbow in places. Yeah, I totally believe if you just serve, offer people value 100%. is kind of the phrase they're using on the internet now. But I think that's just really a phrase for like serving people and loving people well. It just it takes care of itself. Yeah, one of my favorite books on that is
0: Give and Take by Adam Grant. If yeah, you, if you he's have, amazing. I yeah, love him. If, if you have not read yeah. it, listen to this. Right he's now. like one of my
2: favorite people. Books, podcasts, yeah. all his stuff is brilliant. Got to check that book yeah. out
0: because it is it goes into exactly what we're just talking yes. about. He basically breaks down that there's givers, takers, and matchers. Yes, Givers, obviously, you yeah. know who they people are. Give. Takers, same. Matchers are people who give only when they know they're going to get an yes. equal amount of value yeah, back. back yeah so they break down and do a ton of studies and you know adam he's yeah a, you know fantastic he author, the crazy professor. dots with the studies yeah, and, yeah he's yeah. got stats on stats yep. on stats and he puts it together basically this whole study yes. that said they followed around givers takers and matchers and like put them on the success ladder like where yes. do you end up
2: and the givers are always at the top the givers
0: it's are at crazy. the top the givers are also at the bottom yeah so what's interesting <laughs> is like Figuring out, so he goes into that book like, yes. okay, if you're a giver, you you will end up at the top yeah. if you put a couple of these like different caveats into the yes. way that you. Yes, you, you
2: still need to be
0: smart, right.
2: Wise, so totally, I love and that. And
0: changing up, and one of the big things that was that was really interesting for me to read uh, because I, I think I'm naturally more of a matcher. Yeah. Um, and after reading that book, and then having a show on networking and totally. relationships, I've trained myself to become a giver yes. and just give without expectation, yes. right? So one of the things that I had uh, trouble wrapping my mind around was like, okay, well, how do I make sure I'm not one of the givers that ends up at the bottom? Because people take yes. advantage of me all the time. Yep. And one of the big things was he said, don't feel bad about changing up your reciprocity style mm. with a taker. Yes. So if you like interact with somebody and you realize that they're just like taking, 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 yeah. you can't just continue to give to that give person. Yes. You have to like yes. switch cycle. to a matcher. Yeah. So it's it's funny, I've seen it play out in my life now several times where people have been like, take, 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 and I offer a ton of value and I'm trying to build a relationship. Yeah. There's never any reciprocity yes. and they're just a taker. And then eventually like the next time they ask me for something, I cut it off and I'm just like, sorry, like i you know, I'm too busy or
2: I can't do that right yes. now. Yes. And then I they just that. kind
0: of go do their own thing. And yeah. it's just like, okay, well, like um, I, I had to switch it at yes. this point, but I had to it be okay helps, with it that. It
2: kind of helps reveal true colors. Totally. And it helps also cut off the cycle that's not helpful. I love yeah, that.
0: hundred um, percent. So real quick, we're coming up to the end here. Um, tell me a story, something that we haven't talked about yet, a, a quick story about maybe a time in your life where uh, a relationship with somebody led to a big moment of you know success or mm. clarity or fulfillment, something that you feel like you can directly attribute to a relationship that you had in your
2: life. It kind of goes back to what I alluded to earlier of with people bringing surrounding people around, You know, even like, and it, and it gets all the way down to the books. Like, I don't think I would have a book deal. I don't think I'd be doing a lot of this stuff if it wasn't for a couple men and different reasons, but I specifically now I'm thinking of the book. Um, there was almost like this fatherly-like grandfather. here's what I have, So, so I had a mentor in my life, right? And one of his really good friends, he was in his wedding uh, 40 years ago or whatever, uh, is a really high-powered uh, literary agent. Mm. And so when everything went viral, you know, he basically said, "Hey, I, like, I just think you should talk to my friend, you know, and he can help you out." And that connection literally led to almost like the entire like success and business side of just being more than a guy with three videos, you know. And through that, literally led to my first book deal, which did pretty decent, and then that led to the next one and all that type of stuff. So. Um, it's crazy when you can trace the dots that, what's the word, obvious? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that one relationship. And it wasn't, and back to even with the give and taking, I wasn't trying to take anything from him. He was just more like a father figure in my life. Um, and he just, and, and so then when it happened, he didn't just reach out for help. So we were already in relationship. So that shows you, too, by the way, be in relationship r- when you don't need something. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it's like Take we, we, we sometimes started. wouldn't want to be yeah. in that relationship until we need something. Right. I was like, no, it's just like it was more of a real relationship with no business, no nothing. And then something happened, he goes, oh, and I didn't even know he knew this guy, you know? He's like, oh, I know this guy. Not a know this guy. He's like a really good friend. So yeah. then it led to a meeting that led to everything else. So it's crazy.
0: Yeah, that's the biggest thing you hit the nail right on the head was saying, like, it's a real relationship. Yes. So people have a tendency to segment their relationship building yes. and they're like, networking with business people is in this yes. box over here. And it's like, here. no, networking is your life. Friendships is over here. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, no, it's yeah, all the it's same. It's all the same. I love yeah, that. Totally. I love that. Well, look, man, I know we could keep talking forever and ever if I don't cut this off. No, so I'm let's gay. go ahead and move on to the last segment here. Something I like to call the random round. Just a few quick random questions. Oh, quick, I love this style. Let's answers. do it. Let's do it. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt?
2: Oh, I I mean, I would be, if it doesn't matter if you'd be horrid at it, I would love to do like music.
0: Perfect. Yes. Yeah. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and chat for an hour, who would it be and why?
2: Oh, that was, uh, Um. Oh, man. It's like, what genre do I go with? Um, I'm going, my brain's going all the way. I mean, someone like Malcolm Gladwell or something like that would be fun. Mm. Yeah.
0: How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts? Books, 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 Okay, mm-hmm. what's what's a book that's kind of overarching, entrepreneurial that you would recommend to the audience? Culture
2: Code, love that book. It's actually my favorite parenting book, but it's not a parenting book at all. It's an entrepreneurial leadership biz, you know, business book, How Do You Create Culture? Um, but it has probably been my favorite parenting book.
0: Give us a glimpse of your morning routine.
2: Morning routine, wake up at four usually, which, by the way, caveat, I go to bed at eight, because so, I'm not this hustle grinder. I, I get eight <laughs> hours of sleep. Um, I just wake wake up that early because it's my best content creation. I write the best when I do that. Um, It was one of those things that started at six then I backed it up to five, backed it up to four because of how much I was loving it. Right. right. Um, And I've been doing that for a couple years now where it's just like I write better, I think better, I read, I don't turn on my phone. I just, it's so quiet, it's so amazing before everything else gets going. But you gotta go to bed pretty early to do that and especially with kids. But yeah, that's really what it is. It's just waking up early and if it's a book season I write, so it's more of a if it's, a if it's a crazy season it's an output if it's a chill season it's an input meaning like I'll just kind of read and hang mm. out and think and then that's it and then 6 o'clock I'm usually I'll probably will do that till about 7 uh, and then me and Alyssa will kind of talk my wife talk for a few minutes catch up on the day and then our kids get going and breakfast at 8
0: what is your go-to pump-up song?
2: This is not it at all, but it's stuck in my head because I just watched a parody of it. But it's like, what is that the that girl one where it's like fight song like this? Is oh my yeah, fight. So, that is actually pretty solid My buddy man. Trey Kennedy, he's hilarious. He has millions of followers on Instagram. He does like comedy bits, and he just did this hilarious parody called "This Is My Fall Song," and he's pretending to be like a white girl, uh, like the, uh, representing fall, pumpkin spice latte, and all that stuff. So people <laughs> need to go watch that. But that's, but it pumped me up. I was like, that's awesome. What is something
0: putting business aside, yeah. authorship, like all this stuff, like putting all this stuff aside? What's something just in general in life that you're just like not very good at at all.
2: Not very good at um I'm not very good at managing people. That's a, yeah. So I try to stay away from that when I can. I really? Try to, yeah. Try to be very solopreneur. Try to okay. be or be in partnership with people that are really good at yeah. that. So, because we do have organizations and things that we got staff and employees and all that. But uh, yeah, want to grow at it, but then also have systems in place right now where it's I need to get better first. You yeah,
0: know? yeah. So, as we wrap everything up here, Jeff, what's one place online where we're going to be able to find you the most?
2: Uh, anywhere and everywhere. You can just search Jefferson Bethke. It's the handle on all the stuff. Uh, com is our website. And then, yeah, all the books are on anywhere books are sold.
0: Sweet. So, jefferson bethke Uh, just give it a quick search and you will uh, be busy for hours and hours with (laughs) all the content and stuff that's out there Um, and then definitely go pick up a copy of his new book to hell with the hustle Um, I can guarantee you, especially if you're listening to this podcast, that you need to hear (laughs) what he has to say um, in this book. So, uh, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the show today, my man. had a fantastic time with you. Dude,
2: Thanks, man. That was
0: awesome. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As most of you know, I talk a lot about giving value to others. This podcast is one of the ways that I do that since all the content from the show is totally 100% for free. And when people ask me how they can add value to me, one of the ways I tell them is to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button, and leave a rating and review. This not only gives me valuable feedback on what you think about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So please, 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 if you have not done that yet, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.